You are listening to the Coming Up for Air podcast hosted by Air Moms Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. This podcast is sponsored by alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air brings together two wonderful people, both of whose adult sons are in recovery from opiate addiction. Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall have been through years of their loved one's active addiction. They have come to understand the direct link between taking care of yourself and being able to help your loved one. During these conversations, Lori and Annie address the questions and concerns brought up by Allies and Recovery members. And now, coming up for air with Lori McDougall and Annie Highwater. Hi, Annie. How are you this week? I am very well. How are you? Good. We haven't seen each other in a while. You've been away on vacation, but yes. um, summer's in full swing, and I'm getting really busy with book stuff. And then Ohio State University's publishing a book that I've contributed to, and it's all sort of evolving and coming out at once. So in the midst of summer, everything's kind of crazy, but going well. Very good. Very good. I'm taking short little day trips this summer. I'm. I've also started working on a family crisis toolkit and I really got it all together for the state of Rhode Island. I know you and I have talked about it. Right. Maybe maybe I'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but I'm hoping that we can just kind of come to our topic here on Coming Up for Air this week. We decided we would take a look at craft. Exactly what is craft? Why should you use it? Does it work? Right. And I I guess basically all things craft. A part of the reason why we are coming to this topic is because just recently, Dr. Botticelli, who used to be the, um, they, you know, and I'm putting this in quotes, he was the drug czar during Obama's administration, and now he works for the Boston Medical Center in Boston. Uh, he works at the, uh, what's it called? It's called the Graken Center, and they work with a lot of people with substance use disorder. And Boston Medical Center just partnered up with Partnership for Drug-Free Kids, and they have created a program where you can call in, and they have peer specialists for families of teens and young adults. These peer specialists are trained in the craft method, along with a few other things, but also, if you go to their website, if you go to the Graken Center's website, Allies in Recovery is listed there as a family resource, which also utilizes the craft method. So talk- I'm thinking that they're seeing some success and change in utilizing craft. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah. They are. So I thought, you know what? This is really a topic that we probably need to cover, and we really haven't covered it in depth before in this podcast, but I thought, you know what, I think now is the time to try and help people to understand exactly what craft is and exactly how it helps. Okay, so what is craft? What does it stand for? What is it? Craft, it's an acronym for community reinforcement and family training. And craft is a proven family coaching methodology for helping to get your loved one into treatment for substance use. It's widely studied. It was created actually by this guy, this doctor, Bob Myers. He, I'm pretty sure it's out of the University of New Mexico. Yep. 
Dominique Simon Levine, the creator of the Allies in Recovery website, studied under Bob Myers, and that's how she learned about craft, and that's how she ended up creating the Allies in Recovery website. If any of our listeners are really interested in understanding, because we hear this all the time, we hear, oh, it's evidence-based, oh, it's widely studied, oh, there's data, but nobody really knows like where that data is or a lay person never really goes and reads about it or will read the data, read the studies. You can actually go to the Allies in Recovery website and there's a lot of this information. What you want to do is you want to go to the public website, not the member site. So just go to www.alliesinrecovery.net. It's the site before you sign up for a membership. At the top right-hand side, there's the main navigation bar. It says About Craft. And if you just click into About Craft, you'll come to this whole page of information on craft. And you'll also, if you scroll down towards the bottom, it actually will give you all of the different studies and research and the results of those studies of how successful craft is. Right. There's a lot out there written on craft. There's a book called Beyond Addiction. There's another one called Get Your Loved One Sober. And these are all, there's more. There's just a ton more. You could just Google it and a ton will come up. Go and read it for yourself. So craft is a proven coaching methodology. And it's, it's a highly, I would say compared to other methods of intervention, it's been very successful and it uses pragmatic behavioral coaching. Things you've heard before, things like positive reinforcement, communication and problem solving skills, just for example, like reflective listening. Mm -hmm. It's very successful in that it has approximately a 70% success rate of getting your loved one willingly into treatment. I got to be clear on this. And I think people need to understand because I I think when they hear that, when families hear that, they misinterpret what that's saying. What that means is it's a approximately a 70% uh, success rate of getting your loved one willingly into treatment. It doesn't mean that they will be in recovery. It doesn't mean that they won't relapse. Right. It doesn't yeah. mean that they will there be sober. There is no one size fits all, cure right. all, this is over. There is not. Right. If, Especially if, when you're new to the situation, that is something to learn early because that is powerfully disappointing if you are rudely mistaken into thinking there is a cure all and this will come to an end. Right. And if professionals start telling you that, you should you should start questioning that particular program. I because agree. if right, if a prog- if a program or a professional starts saying, Oh no, we can cure, we can, you know, we can do it, we can get your loved one sober and And for good. Yeah, and for good, there's nothing out there that says that anything That's not a defeatist attitude as far as that some people don't relapse. My son's had some pretty good momentum and longevity not relapsing, but we have a clear and sober understanding relapse is possible and sometimes it's probable. Sometimes they have to fall off the path a little while and a few times and stumble like we do in any area of life so that they can get, get it back together, but they don't forget what they've learned along the way. Right. And it's like any other disease, right? I mean, how many people 
find out that they have diabetes and they're able to just get their blood sugar under control and they, they manage the disease well over their lifetime, right? I, I mean, it just typically doesn't happen. It, it's possible, but it typically doesn't happen. Kraft has also shown that it's able to, at approximately 50% reduction in your loved one's drug use, right? So that's a pretty high uh, percentage, meaning this is a really good question. Like how you might ask like, well, how can you do that? Well, there are particular strategies and coping skills that Kraft coaches you in that helps you to kind of delay substance use. It delays your loved one from going out and drinking. And it can really over, you know, a couple of weeks of using craft, of implementing craft, let's say like seven sessions of implementing craft, you really can reduce your loved one's use by about 50%. And, and let's add, you are not responsible for their decisions or behaviors or sobriety, but you can certainly powerfully influence and affect. You right. certainly can. Because, you know, it is a family disease and the person, you know, that's suffering with an addiction, their behavior might be shouting the loudest or it might be the most problematic within a family, but the entire family system needs to be modified and to change in order to cope with it. So there are definitely steps. We're not responsible for anyone else's behavior, but we can certainly affect it. I remember a situation of conflict within my own family and this wasn't substance related, but it was major conflict. And the, one of the people involved kept saying to me, I can't control anyone else's behavior. I can't control what he or she says or does. And I would be so frustrated because it kind of brought an end to what we could do. And I finally started saying, no, but you can have boundaries and consequences. You can speak up. You can be an influence. You can respond. You know, right. when we modify how we respond, that can certainly, certainly redirect somebody else's behavior. You're not responsible but you can redirect, you can absolutely powerfully influence somebody else's behavior. Absolutely. We're human beings. We right. interact with one another. And it's we an do... interpersonal disease and it takes interpersonal recovery. Right. And we do, we, like I said, we are, we're human beings. What I say to you affects you. Yeah. Right. What you say to me affects me. If that wasn't true, then we'd be all walking around. There'd be no problems in life. Power words have Life, if you think, I remember an experiment somebody did at work once where they said, name your favorite compliment. And everyone remembered all the way back to childhood. What's your worst criticism? Everyone can remember back to childhood. Mm -hmm. We can powerfully influence one another. Right. And you hear this all the time. You're enabling, you're enabling, you're enabling. Well, if I'm enabling what you're saying, what you're saying with that word is you're saying, I am influencing my loved one in a way that they will go out and they will use drugs. I'm causing it. Right. I am doing something that influences someone else. And right. if I can do that in a negative way, I can also do it in a positive way. Right. Right. So it's kind of like, I've heard Dominique say this. She has said, well, if you can enable bad behavior, then you can also enable good behavior. Yeah, you can empower good behavior too. Exactly. And encourage and absolutely. Exactly, exactly. So that with, is what we, I believe we try to do with craft. And I can say it's worked in my life in many areas, not just with a, a loved ones that have had problematic substance issues. Right. It's worked in issues of conflict, work-related, interpersonal, family it really has just worked because it's modifying my behavior and responses. And really that's where it begins. Right. Which, which brings me to the third 
piece of craft on how it impacts and how it's how it's a positive impact on the family is that it really can improve interpersonal relationships within the family. It can reduce depression, anxiety, anger, conflict, all of these things. That's that's exactly what it does is it coaches and it teaches you how to interact more calmly with less judgment, with less shame, right? So all it does is creates this whole environment that your loved one has the opportunity to learn, to grow, to make better choices in their life, right? It, It can help them to see that they can change, that they can reach out for help, right? And that you are there for them to help them when they need it, right? Right. So, right? So craft is really all about keeping that personal connection with your loved one and communicating in a way that's just going to raise the possibilities that your loved one is going to be able to get the help that they need. And not make the problem worse. I was speaking to a church group a couple of weeks ago and someone raised their hand and said, we are the, it was a couple, we are aunt and uncle to a niece that we believe has a substance problem. We're not sure, but the signs are there. What should we do? And I told them, first of all, what you don't do is don't shame or judge. Don't interrogate or criticize because shame and judge do not speed up the process. They do not, they slow it down. They make it worse. They make it worse. Love this niece. Make sure communication is open. Make her feel safe. That doesn't mean make behavior safe. That doesn't mean make substance safe. That means make her as a person because addiction and substance use disorder is an experience. It is not an identity. Make her safe and loved and don't go attacking, shaming, or judging because you are going to add fuel to the fire of a life and death problem. Right. And you're pushing them away. You're pushing them away. I mean, really, if you think about it, I think about this all the time. Think about when you were younger and you were a teenager or you were in your 20s and you were interacting with your parents or you were interacting with an aunt and an uncle or a grandparent. How easy is it or how easy would it be if they asked you, are you using drugs? Or you got, or they accused you and said, I know you're using drugs. I know you're using cocaine or I know you're using heroin. How shameful, how bad would you feel inside? And what would be the chances that you would say to that person, you're right, I am. Help me. Right? Help me. You're not going to feel safe trust them to right. take- you're just going to further isolate and retreat within yourself and your behavior. You're not going to open up. You're going to seize up and become paralyzed. That's the effect of shaming and judging and interrogation. I even remember a stupid situation at a softball game when I was about 14. Another um, um, wife was there. My dad coached church softball teams. And she was asking me how long it took me to get ready in the morning. And I was telling her, and this is foolish, but I said it would take an hour to do makeup, which now it's five minutes. But she was like, an hour? Why? And I was explaining this process I had of mascara and I was a kid and she was like, I just think that's terrible and selfish and vain and like went into this lecture and a bleacher full of people. And my, (laughs) my mom was kind of like turning and it was so awkward and uncomfortable. And I never forgot that moment, even though it wasn't, you know, related to family issues or substance use. That moment was so shaming. And I felt like she was pumping me for information to judge me for. 
And I didn't receive it as being, you know, her issue that she was rude and a shaming person. I retreated within myself and felt embarrassed and I felt kind of worthless and like a loser. And, and I, I just really never forgot the experience. And you can apply that to anything. Right. That's the effect that you give when you shame and judge somebody. Right. Totally, totally agree. While I'm thinking about it, successful intervention strategies to help a loved one deal with his or her substance use are often counterintuitive. Our sponsor, alliesinrecovery.net, offers suggestions that have been proven effective in getting loved ones into treatment and helping them stay there while reducing the stress, blame, and guilt we so often feel. I encourage listeners to join alliesinrecovery.net today. So as you were saying, next question, why should families use it? right? Why should families use craft? Well, there's a couple of reasons why. The first thing is, if you're reaching out for help, you're probably reaching out because nothing you've done has worked. So you have nothing to lose and everything to gain from learning how to use craft, right? You have, you've got nothing to lose. Another reason, it keeps you connected with your loved one, right? So many times I felt when I was going through this experience with my son, I felt that so many groups and so many people were always telling me to push him away, to detach, to completely detach from him, push him away. Don't give him this. Don't do this. Don't, you know, don't interact. And I just felt like something's wrong with this picture. If he's spiraling out of control and he can't seem to find his way out of it, Now, with me in the picture, how is pushing him away going to help him learn the skills that he needs in order to get out of it? Does that make sense? Right. Maybe a spouse or a parent or a sibling, but I can't. It's a game changer when it's that son or daughter. You can't just detach from your child as they're spiraling. I don't think it's possible. I think to re-identify detaching as I'm not going to clean up your messes, I'm not going to fix your consequences, your natural consequences must take place in order for you to have dignity and respect and accomplish the victory here, I will not detach from you. Right. I'm just going to modify how I love you and respond to you. Right. And it doesn't mean to say that you don't need some distance at times. Yeah, there's right. separation, it's, definitely, right. sometimes. Right. Sometimes I need distance to just kind of gather myself together because maybe I'm taking it too personally or maybe I can't get through my obsessive thoughts. So I need to take a step back. I need to settle myself down, get my own feelings under control. Yeah. And then I can step back into the picture when I can be a positive influence. So think when they're in conflict with a girlfriend, boyfriend, or oh, when yeah. they've got craziness going on and disputes and... The, the level 10 type of stress and conflict, I think you have to separate from that. I do. I also think that you can apply craft to that, those situations as well, that you can, like you said, you can apply natural consequences. Right. I don't think you necessarily have to exit out of your life or det- detach completely. I just know for me what works is I cannot be in your interpersonal drama. Uh, I can I, hear it. I can, you can vent. You, I am a exactly. place to talk to, but I am not getting involved with girlfriends or friendships or any of that, especially as an adult. Just for me personally, it's better that you go be a man and face and deal those, with those things. I'm always going to be a corner coach and a sounding board, but I can't get involved. It's not healthy. I think what you're saying, though, is the same thing that we're talking about, Kraft, that I think that I'm still a safe place for my son to come to if he needs to talk. Yeah. 
Right. And I'm still a safe place to, you know, if he asks me for advice, I might give it or I might, you know, but I'm still applying craft. It doesn't mean that. And I think that's what you're talking about. I think that's what you're saying. Right. Because I agree with you. Like I, I don't get in the middle of it. And there are some relationships that I would say, I wish my son hadn't gotten into. Sure. But I don't interfere (laughs) and I don't, right. I don't interfere and I don't tell him no. And I don't, you know, oh, you shouldn't. And I don't behave right. in a way as a, as a parent of, well, I wouldn't be involved in that and you shouldn't, and you should break up. I don't get involved in any of that. Yeah. I sit, I listen, you know, I, what, well, what are you going to do about it? Like you would and, a friend coming exactly. to a bad relationship or boyfriend or friendship or a conflict in their friendship. It's the same. Exactly. But I'm not right. going to go call that person up and say, why are you acting like this? Why are you not doing, you know? Right. I'm- no, I don't do that. Right. right. And I think though, what you're saying though, Annie, is that it's basically the same thing. It's still applying craft. You're yeah. still a soft spot to come. You still have that open communication with your loved one, but you're just kind of allowing natural consequences. Right. You're allowing him or her to learn about relationships, about right. having a girlfriend, about having a boyfriend, about whatever it is, you're allowing them to learn, but still keeping that connection. Right. Okay. What else? Why, why else should families use it? Well, one other thing, and I think a lot of people, when they first take a look at craft, can't see how this can happen, but craft can be applied to any situation, right? I mean, we just kind of talked about Another place, what like we're not just using it for SUD, we're using craft for when our loved ones are interacting with somebody else. Yeah. When they've got drama in their life. I was going to say, can I go into what I learned when Dominique trained me on one of the modules that it was the, um, t- just to state the 10 types of dysfunctional thinking? And I yep. wish I could remember which module. And I never forgot it. And I, and a lot of times we go, we all go into these habits, no one's immune, but I didn't even realize a lot of times when they're to an extreme that it was me being dysfunctional, which is why it's really good to be self-aware and to always self-examine. But there's 10 examples of distorted thinking based on research by Professor Lakshman, Matt, I can't even say his last name, but it's all in craft and it's all on allies and recovery. Number one is awfulizing. And that type of dysfunctional thinking is when you imagine a situation to be worst case scenario, mm-hmm. as bad as it can possibly be. You awfulize, you know, at the end of the day, this kid is going to die or going to go to prison. You take it to the worst extreme. Even if that's a possibility, you make it probable and you are at that hysteria level 10 stress with right. it. The other one is tunnel vision, where you filter everything through kind of a negative tendency. And mm-hmm. you interpret situations negatively, ignoring alternative ways of seeing things. You, this is when you can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak. The third one is all or nothing. And that's when you split your view into extremes. There's no middle ground. Everything is either or. We are, for an example, and I know I did this a lot in my own personal life and have had to work on it. We are either going to talk this thing through right now or we're going to end up enemies and it's over, worst case scenario. Instead right. of giving something space and breath and possibility and consideration and looking at someone else's viewpoint, I would go into panic of, we've got to solve this now. And that's kind of all or nothing. Generalizing, that's when you make a general or broad statement by inferring from specific cases, such as every person who has ever become addicted or dependent happened upon it by making bad choices. 
that mm-hmm. would be a generalization or every person ends up this way or that way. Every person relapses or doesn't. That's dysfunctional thinking. Projecting and jumping to conclusions. That is defending oneself against your own unconscious impulses or qualities, if that makes sense. You, you deny things in yourself that you see and project in others, such as their motive. Mm-hmm. He or she is only being manipulative and calculating when they're friendly toward me. That sometimes is the case, sometimes, especially when someone's in active use, but it's not always. And if we go to an extreme with it, it's dysfunctional. Negativity, when you think there's no possible way this can work out, or there's no way this can work out unless I do this or that. We have to take a step back and consider all sides and, and always get good, safe, supportive, informed counsel. Blame, that's when you assign responsibility for a problem versus working to resolve it, such as it's your fault everything's terrible. It's your fault my life is a mess. It's your fault I'm afraid and, and unhappy all the time. That's blame shifting without kind of seeing our own participation. The last two are unfairness. When you see unfairness is when you believe there's a lack of equality or, or justice. Um, you have an inability to understand that things sometimes just don't work out in your favor. There's good days and there's bad. But when you look at it as, why is this happening to me? I thought I was doing all the right things. This is unfair. To an extreme, that's dysfunction. Shoulds, that's when you um, indicate obligation to be correct and to get things right. You can become very critical. Somebody was telling me the other day they have a t-shirt that says, don't should on me. We become very sort of, I guess the word would be codependent to a situation when we think we have to do something or should do something and Mm -hmm. then resentment can come in. And then the last one was called heaven's reward. And this one I definitely struggled with, especially coming from a religious background. It's when we expect our sacrifices and self-denials to always pay off, pay off right. as, if, as if there's a great scoreboard, someone's keeping score. And we feel bitter when the reward doesn't come. And you think after all I've done for you, yeah. after all I've been through, and this right. is the things I get. So right. those are the 10 things I learned from craft. And we went through the processes of dialectical behavior therapy, DBT, mm-hmm. which can help you kind of normalize those types of dysfunctional thinking. And we all veer in and out of them sometimes, some more than others. Craft really helped me calm those things down. That's why craft is, is applicable to every situation in life. Right. I use those things at work. I use those things relating to my siblings that aren't addicted. You know, I use right. those things in my son in recovery. I use those things interpersonally on myself. Right. And I have to tell you, I hear, I hear this all the time uh, when I'm working with families. I hear, well, you know, that's good for your kids. You can use craft for your kids but I'm struggling with my spouse or yeah. I'm struggling with my brother. And, or, and it's like, mm-hmm. right, right. And it's actually, if you learn craft and you understand craft, it can, it can be applied to anybody in the family. It can be applied to a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, a brother, a sister. And, and yes, that you share parenting concerns with. Yes, it, it can be. It can be used real and really craft can be adjusted to your specific situation. Right. And what I mean by that is, and I've been working with some families recently because I can set one particular boundary and it works for me, doesn't mean that the other family or all other families have to set the same boundary and have it work for them. Right. Does that make sense? So, so craft can be designed around your specific, 
your family's situation? Well, yes, every family has different patterns and rhythm. Every family has different issues and experiences. So you have to kind of custom fit them. There is no one size fits all for anything. Right, exactly. And let's just take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is sponsored by CCSHM, the Community Coalition for a Safe and Healthy Morris, whose mission is to prevent and reduce substance use throughout the lifespan through collaboration, education, and community-wide change. CCSHM partners with CARES, the Center for Addiction Recovery, Education, and Success, to bring prevention and recovery services to communities throughout Morris County and New Jersey. CCSHM and CARES are projects of Morris County Prevention is Key. Go to safehealthymorris.org or caresnj.org or call 973-625-1998. We've kind of talked about already what the three main outcomes are of CRAFT. Amongst other outcomes, we've talked about it has, you know, a 70% success rate of getting your loved one willingly into treatment. We've talked about it reduces your loved one's drug use by about 50%. And it also increases uh, better relationships, interrelationships within the family. Self-examination. Right, self-examination. And kind of piggybacking on what you just said, Annie, that we kind of get into these families, family roles, family patterns, right, that we're trying to break. It takes us years to create these family roles and these family patterns. So you need to expect, you have to be patient yourself with yourself and your family when you're using craft that I find a lot of people seem to think that they're going to try one recommendation from craft. They're going to go out and they're going to try it. And if it doesn't work in that one moment in that, and your loved one doesn't get into treatment right then and there, that it doesn't work. Well, that's kind of like saying, I'm going to skip lunch and lose that 20 pounds. Right. Thank you. That's a great analogy. Great analogy. You're right. Because it's like, we're we're talking about breaking years worth of patterns. It's going to take some time. And the thing about that is, is actually, it doesn't take a lot of time. It takes about five to six weeks. But what it does take is it takes a lot of dedication that you're going to practice this, right? That you're going to allow yourself to make mistakes, but that you're going to practice, 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 right? Because you really are trying to break through years of particular patterns and roles that you've fallen into. And those are not easy things to break down. I always compare it to turning a ship around or or that weight loss scenario. I have to say, I did start noticing results within just a few weeks of of doing the training because I calmed down and I did active listening and I would listen to hear something different instead of listening for somebody to stop talking so I could jump in with what I thought should happen or not happen. Right. It it just kind of calmed the situation down. You put down your weapons and you start taking different approaches and that is what changes a family. That is what moves the needle that has been stuck. Also, I think... Families have to really adjust what the goals are with each different part of craft that you're utilizing. So, and what I mean by that is everybody seems to think that they're going to practice one little thing and their loved one is going to go willingly into treatment. And it's, it's, no, 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 it's over a, a period of time that that 
may or may not happen because remember it's got approximately a 70% success rate of having that happen. So there still is a 30% rate that, that it doesn't happen. So you have to think about it in terms of what's my goal? What's my short term goal in this moment? And the short term goal in the moment might be, I'm trying to just reduce my negative talk so that I can get some calmness in my house. Right. Or so, I went out of this argument right now. I need right. to this, this room. I need to step outside of this argument that is bottomless and going nowhere. Exactly. And it might not be that it works in that moment. You, in fact, I can honestly say you might expect it to kind of get worse before it gets better because your loved one is used to you arguing with them or used to a particular behavior out of you and you're changing your rule now and you're not doing what they expected you to do. So they kind of start testing the waters even more like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you changing this on me? And they, oh my gosh, my, uh, my manipulation and the way we, since you're not following the pattern, I've got to kind of force you. No, 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 come back. You've got to follow the pattern because ultimately they have a goal in that argument, right? They have a goal. They want you to do something for them. They want you to either solve their problem or maybe give them some money or, you know, whatever it is. And now you're not following the pattern. So it's probably going to get a little bit worse before it gets better. So you're going to have to practice it three and four times before you're going to see some calming and, and some good positive results. Like any new habit you form, you're always most uncomfortable at first. Think about those first 21 days on a diet or exercise plan. So you kind of almost have to have a sense of dedication and a level of trust Mm -hmm. that this is going to work ultimately in the end. And it's kind of like, I kind of equate it to what they tell you in Al-Anon and Naranon, kind of like fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. This is where okay, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it, and I'm gonna try it. You got nothing to lose anyway. You know what I've been doing in the past hasn't worked, so I'm gonna try something different. And right now, I'm gonna place a little bit of trust into this program, and I'm gonna see. You know, I'm gonna give it. I don't know seven weeks, and let's see what the results are over a period of time. And and right? just like there's no, sh- you know, we encourage you not to shame or judge your loved one. There's no shame or judgment for you. You have permission to fail. One of the things I love from the recovery slogans is there is no right or wrong. Just get up and do the next right thing. I mean, there are times that I have miserably failed, misjudged a situation or misjudged my importance in the midst of it, or, you know, whatever the case may be, I've blown it, but I'm not going to dwell in that. I'm going to not judge myself. I have permission to fail get up and just do the next right thing. There's no shame or judgment. No one's perfect at this. No one should have to be, but we can learn how to navigate it to where life can become healthier. Right. And you can really take advantage of making mistakes because to me, when you make a mistake in front of your loved one like that, you can always come back and go, oh, I'm still learning. I'm still learning too, right? But I'm trying, but I'm putting effort into this. See how much I love you. Yeah. You know, that kind of making a mistake and kind of turning it around. But expect mistakes. Expect yeah. to make mistakes. We're human beings. We're I, human. I just, admit the, I just admit the craziness of my behavior sometimes. You know, right. when I have somebody say, you know, so this or that's going to make you crazy. Yeah, 
It is. It I'm is. going to climb the walls and walk the floors and be a lunatic for a couple yeah. of days. That's the truth. Yeah. I'm going to mishandle it and probably fly off the handle. Right. You know, I hope I don't, but I know what my triggers are. So I'm just right. going to go ahead and own my behavior and my flaws. And I'm not threatened by somebody else pointing them out because if it's true, it's true. I'm going to right. make amends, get up and do the next right thing. I'm not going to get stuck in feeling cruel about myself or anybody right. else's disapproval. The other thing about it is, is that when you do freak out like that, once you, once you kind of have learned craft and you've been coached in craft and you've been working it, yes, you might still have something happen that kind of throws you back and you're <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm back at square one. Oh my God. I'm like you said, you're, you're climbing the walls, you're in the middle of chaos. But the thing is, is that now if you do step back, you do have tools in the toolbox yeah. and you're not stuck in that chaos for months and months and months. No, it might not. be like a, a day or so. It might be, you know, maybe a day or two. And then you're like, oh my gosh, no, I can recover. This is not, I'm not going back to square one. Like, you're aware of yourself and your patterns. You stop right. and think, okay, wait a minute. What's my motive? I could have Why done am this. I acting like this? Why right. am I, I forcing this consequence or right. forcing an answer right, right now? Why am I trying to force an outcome? Right. Okay. I, I could have done that. it. I could have done it this way, or I could have done it that way, or, you know, and you adjust. Right. It's kind of like your diet example, I think. It's like if you've been dieting for months and months and months and you know, you you're, you're doing good and then you blow it and you eat, right. you eat, does it bring you all the way back? Do you put on 40 pounds or do you just get up the next day and get back on the diet and exercise or whatever it is right. and just go, okay. And you may feel the effects for a couple of days of blowing it, whether, you know, when you blow right. your diet, you feel kind of miserable for a couple of days. When I've blown it in interpersonal relationships or situations, I kind of feel miserable. Right. you know, for a span of time. But you know what? I'm good. I'm okay with that. I, I'm still valuable. I'm not a villain. It's not over. Right. I can get up and just get back on the path and reroute toward peace again. Right. So I would really like to let our listeners know that if you really have any questions or any comments, feel free to email both Annie and I on the website, on the Allies and Recovery website. Or, you know, you can go to the public website and you can look up craft for yourself. Yeah. Um, maybe do, maybe Google it, Google craft and see what comes up. I would like to give two kind of final examples of craft working yep. um, of things that I learned powerfully from. Yep. One is in tweaking or modifying language. And I'm not condemning mm -hmm. anyone that uses, you know, specific types of language anyway. There are definitely words that we should veer from, but I just tweaked the word help and changed it to relief. You know, when you, sometimes when you say to someone, you need help, that comes across condemning or shaming. And I'm not condemning or shaming anyone that says that because, you know, we all need help. But when you say, look, you just need relief, that has a different type of feel to it. That has more of a w welcoming, in my opinion, in my experience, just changing that word. And I'd heard a comedian that gave, she gave, told her story. Her name's, I believe, Jessa Reed. She was addicted for years and years and years and on meth and just, she seemed hopeless. She, um, at one point, talked about carrying a dead bird around with her that she thought she was going to breathe meth into and restore life to it. I mean, mm -hmm, it was, she mm -hmm. was out of her mind. She said one time she went home to visit her dad. And she had all these crazy nightmarish relationships back where she lived in LA, I believe. And her dad said, hey, kid, if things get stale, I'm here for you. You can always come home. And she said, I went back. And she said, I had been living 
a life of desperation and misery already. And I was used to desperate and miserable. But just because he used the word stale, just by chance, I went back. She said, I went back to this boyfriend that we were a mess, our relationship, my life. And I thought, yeah, this is stale. She said it was just that one changed sentence that made her call him. And she's been, you know, clean, I believe, 18 years or some, somewhere around that. So just tweaking those words and being a little bit maybe mindful of what you say and sometimes changing the game. Familiarity breeds contempt. Contempt. I believe that that can be helpful. And then the other thing is the soft intervention that um, Dominique has taught on in the modules. That's powerful. I've seen that work so many times. Not every time, but enough times that I'm convinced. And that's when you write on an index card or a, a Hallmark card or I love you card, the n- numbers and names of treatment centers that might fit for your loved one. I mean, you've probably spent time being a detective and researching stuff about them anyway and what they're up to. You could take a few minutes and research maybe a treatment center that might fit, whether they have scholarships, Medicaid, insurance or not, putting it on an index card with a number to call. Moments of clarity come when they think, I went out of this, who are they going to call? Sometimes they think to call a family member they might be at odds with, and then that moment's gone. But if they call themselves, they've made that choice. I've seen, I knew a mother that did that. Her son was living in a gas station. Instead of going and fighting with him, she dropped his stuff off to him with a card, and he went into treatment the next morning and has been working, you know, his own program. All modifications that are powerfully effective. Do you know I have my family non-traditional family support group in Rhode Island, we created a crisis uh, framework for families to create their own crisis plan. One of the pieces of that framework is to do just that, to write down all of this information, have this card ready. In Rhode Island, we happen to have two things. We have, um, we have a 942 stop number, which is a number where people can connect to all sorts of different types of treatment. And then we also have the Providence Safe Stations where anybody can go into one of the Providence fire departments. They can get a warm handoff. They'll call like a recovery coach and they'll make sure that they get them warm to, where, yep, it's a Very warm hand. Warm. Yep, yep. And the recovery coach stays with this person. It's not, you know, right. it's not like they go drop them off at treatment and they have nothing to do with them. They stay with them through their treatment, through their recovery process. But that, all of that information is already on the card. Yep. And I think it's an awesome, awesome thing to do. I agree with that. I write, I handwrite it myself. I know there's a text line you can text even the word help or hello to. 741741. They'll send an ambulance, a police car somebody to pick you up and drive you into treatment. If you put this in somebody's hands, in those moments that maybe you're not there, they pass so quickly and they sometimes pass in in front of us and we don't realize it or we're not there. When they have that moment, they have something that they can call and then it starts them in motion and that is powerfully effective. And I am a big advocate for changing language. I I think changing language is huge. It makes a huge difference. And I love this idea of using the word relief because what that says to the person is you have an understanding that something's going on inside of them that they are struggling with and and you need relief. And we support that relief. We don't shame you into help because you're crazy and you're awful and you need help. We know you need relief. Right. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Well, this was well, a really great podcast. I agree. Yeah. If, if people want to be trained in craft or have questions, please contact Lori. 
go to the Allies website, you know, you're welcome to email me. I believe Lori's more of an expert, but we've both been adequately trained and yep. it works. Why should families use craft? Because craft works. Works. That's right. That's right. I guess we will talk again uh, in, an, in a week or so. All right. Good to see you. Okay. See you next time. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this Coming Up for Air podcast with Annie Highwater and Lori McDougall. If you're interested in reading Annie's book, Unhooked, A Mother's Story of Unhitching from the Roller Coaster of Her Son's Addiction, it's available online, or you can simply follow the link at the bottom of one of Annie's blog posts on alliesinrecovery.net. Coming Up for Air is sponsored by Allies in Recovery, the online home for families facing the addiction of a loved one. Allies in Recovery can help you understand your loved one's struggle and offers effective communication strategies that encourage treatment and discourage use. In addition to interactive e-learning, Allies in Recovery offers expert advice, podcasts, tools for evaluating treatment options, recent news items, and access to a large community of families coping with issues similar to yours. Join alliesinrecovery.net today. That's alliesinrecovery, all one word, .net. Thank you for listening. Our theme music was performed and composed by cellist Eric Corey.